0: Welcome to the Engage and Equip podcast. This is a resource designed to help form substantive disciples for the local church. We recently put on a conference at High Point Church called Sexuality Everywhere. We were looking at the question, how can we glorify Jesus as sexual beings? In this breakout session, Tom Flaherty, Alice Flaherty, and Alexi Gibson talk about raising purity, how we can raise children who are going to grow up into sexual faithfulness. Unfortunately, you can't hear Tom's mic. There was something goofy with it. So only Alice's and Alexi's mics are working. However, you should be able to hear Tom through their mics in this breakout session. Thanks for listening.
1: start and we'll get right into this. Lord, thank you for your great love. Lord, thank you for your promise that where the enemy has come in like a flood, that the spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. And Lord, our country, our culture has been absolutely flooded with sexual images and sexual messages and God, I thank you for this conference. I thank you for every single person that is in this room right now. Lord, make us part of the standard that you are raising on in this hour of truth filled with love and purity. God, help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, I'm Tom. We, Alice is here, she's going to be sharing. Alexi's gonna be sharing, we have a panel of four that are all going to be sharing some things, so we will, there's a lot gonna be happening in these few minutes. I wanna just start by saying, I did not choose to do this workshop. I had told Nick, Nick wanted me to do a workshop. I said, here's what I'd like to do, and he said, no, how about this? And so, I honestly, Our oldest son, in college, walked away from faith. And it really traumatized me as to, I used to think I knew a lot about how to raise kids and tell everybody how this is what works and this is, and it, it traumatized me. I, I, I don't know, I don't know. And so we get to this topic of how to raise sexually pure children. And it kind of exposed the wound in me. And so I, I sent an email out to all of our adult children and said, were you guys, we've got to do this thing. Were you guys sexually pure? I was, I was so blindsided by my son walking away from the faith that I just, they seemed pure. They seemed like they walked in purity, but uh, I I just said, tell me if you were, and if we did something good, tell us what you did. And and actually, their answers, um, even the one that has walked away from the Lord, that is still out there and could still come back, but we're actually very healing and very reaffirming that we did do some things right. And so, let's talk about um, raising purity first. Why does God want? Sexual purity. This is really important. The why behind it empowers the, the ability to do it. The why is because of one sex pictures. For this reason, this is Ephesians 5:31-32. 30. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. <laughs> and the two shall become one. This is a great mystery, but I'm speaking about the relationship of Christ and the church. That God wanted to picture salvation in marriage. For this reason, Jesus left the Father's house, left heaven, became flesh, died on a cross, So that he could propose to the human race. So that he could make not just a lifelong commitment, but an eternal long commitment to us. And salvation is when we make a response to that. And we commit ourselves to him. That is this union based on a commitment that is eternity long. So marriage was supposed to picture this. Sex in marriage. God put this hidden pleasure in sex. He didn't, want, he didn't want the intimacy to simply be duty. He wanted it to be delight. So he put this secret pleasure in marriage because he doesn't want to be our duty. He wants to be our delight. Our Christianity, our response to Christ, is not all about spiritual pleasure that we get from the joy of his presence and from encountering his intimate, tender touch and voice. If your Christian life is all based on spiritual pleasure, you're going to be just like this. Our Christian life is based on his commitment to us and our commitment to him. But folks... If there's no encounter with God, if there is no experiencing his presence and his tenderness, God will become our duty instead of our delight, and we're, we're all at risk when God's just our duty. And so it is with marriage. He put this secret delight called sexual intimacy. God made sex for Pleasure to renew to renew it's this it's not intimacy, it's the celebration of intimacy. That's why he made sex. Sexual purity, let's go on to point two. What is sexual purity? It is a commitment to purity. A commitment to purity is a commitment to our future or present spouse. It is a life long commitment that I am going to keep myself for this person and that I will not awaken desire before it's time. This is Song of Songs 2-7. All Song of Songs is uh, uh, about this monogamous relationship, it's in the tradition of Solomon. It's probably not actually about Solomon. I don't think Solomon is the best example of uh, one on one. Uh, it's about a shepherd and a maiden who are engaged, and it's a series of love poems that are absolutely beautiful, and they celebrate sexual intimacy and the and the picture of what God has made for marriage. Chapter two, verse seven. This woman that is engaged and looking forward to this is speaking to the maidens around her and she says, do not awaken love or love's desire before it's time. There is a time for all of this equipment to work and to be part of this marriage celebration, this secret delight in marriage. But that time is not until that lifelong commitment has been made. And you do not want to awaken that love, that desire, before it's time. So, uh, when it does get stirred up, which of course we have a whole country where it's it stirred up everywhere, we've got images stirring up sexual desire, sexual passion everywhere. We need to deal with that. As people that are following Jesus, as people that are trying to live out salvation, we need to deal with it honestly before God. And that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about it with our, our children and how to help them do that as well. What is sexual, sexual purity? First, it's a commitment to keep myself for my spouse. Secondly, sexual purity is a stand that we take against the deception of the enemy, the deception that has infiltrated our culture. So here's what happened in uh, to Israel. Israel is out in the wilderness, there's this guy named Balak that wants to curse them, and so he hires Balaam and, and, and has Balaam, uh, try to curse the people of God, and so Balaam does this because he's going to be hired, he's being paid for it, and Balak wants this, and And Balaam says, you, you can't curse those who God has blessed. And so this, this is a long story, but the end of the story is this. Balaam says, but okay, God, God will not curse his own people when his blessing's on them, but I can tell you how you can set God against his own people. And Balaam gives him the strategy of sexual immorality. Just send the women in. Don't send the army in. Send the women in. And let them lure them into immorality. Then God himself will be against them. And that's exactly what happened. So, Revelation 2 we have two churches the church at Pergamum and the church of Thyatira It's the exact same plan. Balaam is actually quoted mm. That the the enemy has come in with the teaching of Balaam and has said to the church that immorality is okay go ahead and embrace immorality Embrace it in some form. It's no problem. Grace covers you and Two churches same strategy And it is the deception of our age. It's not just the deception then, it's the deception now. In both of these instances, judgment from God has been delayed. God says in verse 16 to Pergamum, tell them to repent or I'm gonna come with a sword. To Thyatira, he says, I gave Jezebel room to repent, and she hasn't, and now her children, and I've given them time to repent, and they haven't repented. Never assume that God's, don't mistake God's patience for God's approval. Just because you're in sin, you're engaging in sin, and you're not immediately judged does not mean it's okay and God approves. It means God loves you, and God wants you to come to this on your own. God wants you to come to this just because of his word, just because of his voice. He doesn't want to go to another level. So this is the story of Samson. Samson, if you read this story closely, you realize, oh my, there's sexual addiction in the Bible. He becomes a addict. Why do we know that? Because he keeps going back to Delilah, and he knows that Delilah wants to turn him over to the Philistines to either imprison him or kill him. Yet he keeps going back. And here's the problem. Because he seems to be getting away with it, he keeps going back, he keeps engaging, and he keeps getting out of the Philistines' hands. At some point, it's like a game to him, and he assumes that he is somehow above the rules. Somehow, the rules don't apply to him. The rules that apply to everybody else do not apply to him, and look, I'm doing this, and I'm still anointed, and I'm still going to church, and I'm still a blessing, and I'm still serving a small group, and I still am doing all this stuff. I still lead worship. It must not be that big a deal. And then Samson, uh, God helps him break his sexual addiction. Do you know how he broke it? Yeah. By Samson becoming blind, a prisoner, and he still makes a hall of faith, Praise God! But God doesn't want us to have to lose everything before He breaks our sex addiction. He wants us to embrace truth he wants our children to embrace the truth so i want to just read again nick read it last night first thessalonians 4 it is god's will that you should be sanctified that you should avoid sexual immorality that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable not impassionate lust like the pagans who do not know god and that in this manner no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister, the Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject the human being, but God, the very God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. Do you, do you see what's going on in this text? It's already happening in the early church. They're trying to say, this isn't, no, no, God doesn't care about that. We're not hurting anybody. This isn't, Paul said, don't, stop it. You're deceiving yourself. Don't deceive yourself. God will have to be against his own children if you don't control yourself in this area. You do not want God to be against you. So, um, one of my children wrote this. as far as things that were helpful. One was the thermometer versus the thermostat. That we are not supposed to be a reflection of our culture, that what our culture is, we become. But we are the thermostat that actually sets a different culture. This helped him. The idea that everybody out there can be wrong and we can bring something that's right, and instead of us adjusting to them, they adjust to us. Wouldn't it be amazing if we set a new culture, a new thermostat, instead of just reflecting this culture, instead of just caving in and saying, Well, everybody's immoral, everybody it falls in sexual sin, and so we're just just like them and but we, we're forgiven and they aren't. Wouldn't it be amazing? If a group of young, young people rose up, that we raised up a group of young people that said, no, I'll be a thermostat. We're going to set a different culture. We are tired of the destruction that immorality is causing, and we're going to raise something else up. One of my daughters uh, said this. She said, honestly, I was pure all through high school, and it was because of this. I was just afraid. It's pure fear. Now that might sound like a horrible motive But she didn't really say exactly what she was afraid. Of. Was it the fear of the Lord? Was it the fear of men? I hope I put a healthy fear of men in her <laughs> um, Was it Was it the fear of not knowing? I don't know all of what was in But it was fear They kept it Let me just say this about the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 16 says this, by the fear of the Lord, a man departs from evil. One of the things that God wants to restore to the church is the fear of the Lord. Where there's little fear of the Lord, there's little departing from evil. (laughs) And God loves me, God's for me, God's, all of that is true. But God is a holy God and We need to have the fear of the Lord in our hearts and in our minds. All right. That was, what is sexual? So sexual purity is both positively a commitment to be pure for my spouse, whether it's my present spouse or my future, and what is it, if you want to say it in a negative way, it is a stand against the deception of our day. All right, here's point three. How do we raise sexually pure kids? Number one, commit to be sexually pure yourself. <laughs> the idea that you are gonna be one thing and that your kids are gonna become something else because you told them, not gonna happen. In fact, it's it will be just the opposite. The absolute worst case is that you aren't living it and then asking them to live it. That's, that's how you make very angry, wounded church kids. Hmm. You, you have to commit yourself to being sexually pure yourself. Kids are, are it's, it's kind of like congregations. Congreg- when you're a pastor of a church and I'm leading a team of, of pastors, I say this all the time to our team, guys, they're not going to become what we say, they're going to become what we are. Hmm. Whatever we are, that's what they will become. If we love each other, if we're for each other, if we've got each other's backs, if we can have fun together and cry and pray together and be broken together, that's what the congregation will eventually become. That's just the principle. They're going to become what you are. You want your kids to be pure? You be pure. Start with you. One of my children wrote this. The way you guys model fast-forwarding, skimming, and frankly, your general disgusted, disappointed reactions (laughs) to sexual content in TV and movies was a big one. It's a discipline I extended to my thought life by being highly avoidant of any sexual thoughts or impulses and a practice that carried over into my adult life. Even though I questioned my faith, I never questioned my intention to save sex for marriage. So the... I didn't, we didn't tell her that, she just got that. She just got that from watching our carefulness to be sexually pure and to keep images that would be, that should not be part of movies. I don't know why they they feel like they have to include it in every movie, don't they? Great movie, great everything, courage, hero wins the end, and, but, just so you know, sex is okay before marriage. Boom, there it is. Almost every movie feels like they have to included that and you're gonna have to fast forward through something. All right, Um, live it yourself. Second, set boundaries for their freedom until they can set their own boundaries. First Timothy 5, 1 and 2, it says, treat the younger women with absolute purity as sisters. Now in that culture, Almost all the commands in the New Testament are to men. Here's why. (laughs) The value of of, of a young girl's purity was very high in a Jewish father. And so he would uh, provide escorts for her if she ever went out or keep her in seclusion. And they married at about 14 years old. So it's not as hard as you would think to keep a woman pure in that day. We live in a very different day today. So these commands are equal women, men. Women treat the men as brothers with absolute purity. Men treat the women as sisters with absolute purity. That we need to recognize that the opposite sex, everybody in the opposite sex, everybody that you feel attracted to, they are your sister in Christ and they are someone else's future spouse and you need to you need to approach that with tremendous soberness when your kids are young you set the boundaries you tell them when they when you you and your husband you and your wife work it out what the boundaries are you can't expect them to make their own but as they get older they're going to have to make their own boundaries they're going to have to decide to do this themselves i want to give you what one young we reached out to a lot of young adults and they wrote us stuff because I didn't trust what we were gonna say. So uh, here's, what, here's what one young lady wrote into to us. By the time I was in a dating relationship in high school as a senior, it was my own conviction that created the physical boundaries. In fact, I think my own rules were more strict than anything my parents would have come up with. Presses, but I'm sure they appreciated my caution. My parents <laughs> had laid the foundation, taught me about my worth and value, and most importantly, taught me how to listen to the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I knew how to strategically navigate boundaries ahead of time, and I was able to walk in purity. It's a powerful gift, and I am beyond thankful for how they taught and prepared me. Number three, pursue a vital burning relationship with Jesus that hides nothing from him in shame. Here is the problem. (laughs) The answer to sexual purity is a burning fire for Jesus. But when you feel defiled, when you feel like a pervert, when you feel impure, you don't want to be near Jesus. Well, more importantly, you don't think Jesus wants to be near you. You think Jesus doesn't is disgusted by you, and that is not it. That's not how it is at all. God loves us. We are his delight. We are his image-bearers. He wants us to bring our shame to him. He wants us to live. Close to him. He has an identity for every one of his favorite sons and daughters called purity. It is an identity that comes to you by grace. It's in the new birth. You already have it. You just need to walk it up. You don't have to become pure. You are pure. You just need to get that thing unpacked. And all of the other identities. He says, "I understand the culture, I understand how you were brought up. I understand that sin has visited more generations. That's why I've given you forgiveness. That's why I shed my blood. I want you to have a new beginning. I want you to have a clean start. but I want you to put on these new clothes. I have made you pure in me. I have put grace and purity in you. This is who you really are. Uh, well, I'm, you know I'm I'm, the, I'm, I'm, a, I'm lustful, I'm this, I'm that, I'm that. Listen. I'm not going to say you're not. That's just a bad version of you. There's a better version of you, and it's you filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, the greatest thing you can do for your children is drink of Jesus yourself. Right. John chapter 7 says this If anybody's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Let him come to me and drink, and out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Mm-hmm. When you drink, when you actually connect with God, when you actually delight with God as parents, rivers will start flowing, and there will be more available for the whole family. The greatest thing, if you've got a spouse, that's not along with God. Greatest thing you can do for him or her, drink yourself. Drink yourself. You, you've got to enter. You've got to press in. I don't think, honestly, I don't think your kids are going to make it to uh, duty driven religion. I really don't. They're very... The sexual pressure is too much. They're gonna to have to have a dynamic, living relationship with Jesus to make it. How, well, how are we gonna get that in? You're gonna to have to have one. You're gonna to have to press in. You're gonna to have to shape up the apathy of our day. How many know that you go to church and not drink? You can have a quiet time and not drink. You can do, you can do all kinds of disciplines and not drink. We need to meet with God, folks. We need to press in and experience spiritual pleasure and then bring our kids into it. There is so much more in God. And the, the, way, the only way this thing is going to get turned around, it's not going to get turned around by a bunch of rules. It's going to get turned around by people that are absolutely crazy in love with Jesus. That's what we need to raise up in our children. And the only way we do that is, as parents, you can't make your kids delight in God, but you can delight in God yourself. You can delight in God yourself. All right, I'm almost done. <clears throat> this is a prophetic word. We've been praying about this for a long time, ever since we were asked. One morning I woke up and I had, before I was fully awake, I, I received this word from the Lord. I believe it is absolutely a word from heaven. Here, here was the words. Release them and cheer, do not hold on to them in fear. I'm going to say it again and I'm gonna tell you what I think it means. Release them and shear. do not hold on to them in fear. That was the sentence. Let me tell you what I think it means. I think it's for the parents here. Release your children to Jesus. Release raising them to Jesus. Release, I know what you want for your kids. You need to release them to Him, and you need to be their cheerleader. You need to know it's not about me and you. It's about you and Jesus, and I'm cheering for you. I believe in God, and I believe in God and in you. I believe you're gonna. I believe in my son that walked away. I believe God's bringing him back. I absolutely believe it. We need to be for them. They need to know we are cheering for them. We need them to know we are in their core. Even if they mess up, even if they blow it, even if they don't like this, and they, they're talking stuff that you wish they weren't talking about, and they're feeling stuff you wish they weren't feeling. You, you know, I am for you. I am always for you. We have to cheer for our kids. They need to know our heart is toward them. Second, don't hold on to them in fear, here's what happens. We don't want our children to to reproduce the failure that we had sexually, and we're afraid of it. We don't want, and so we, we tend to helicopter them and micromanage them and oppress them, and it does the exact opposite of what we wanted. Don't try to live your identity through your children. Don't put your failure on their identity. Don't hold on to them. They belong to God. You cheer for them. Don't let fear get empowered in your household. Let grace be empowered in your household. And then I'm gonna end with this, and I'll turn it over to my wife. James 5, 16. Confess your sins one to another and pray for each other that you might be healed. Hmm. That verse is not talking about physical healing. Physical healing is dealt with two verses earlier, uh, and it involves the elders and anointing them on the prayer of faith. This is not physical healing. What is going on here? Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. Not forgiven. Forgiveness doesn't come by confessing to one another. You confess your sins to God. God's gift is forgiveness. This is about healing. This is about when we confess to other people and pray for one another, God's anointing comes and heals. Heals what? The brokenness that caused that sin so that you're not stuck in a cycle where you're just always sinning and confessing sin. God wants to heal us. Brokenness can't be repented of. Hmm. You don't confess a brokenness, you confess sin. But sin came out of something. It came out of a brokenness in us that needs to be healed. So we confess our sins to God and we have a safe community that prays for us because Jesus is anointed to bind up the broken heart. He's anointed to fix what's wrong inside. He So that we are not constantly in the same cycle of confessing the same sins over and over and over again. Jesus wants to heal heal us. For your children to know that you're a safe place, that they can talk to you, that they can share anything with you, that that you and them can pray together, and Jesus is going to heal in in this environment of vulnerability. They may choose you, they may not. But this, they need to have that safe place. I'm just going to read one last thing and I'll give it to my wife. This is from one of my daughters. Now that I have studied it, oh here's, here's what she said. <sighs> now that I have studied it more, it turns out the number one most significant factor in sexual delay for children, for girls, is their relationship with their father. And that is what I think you guys did really well. I never felt like I had to go searching for love because I felt very loved by you. And as strange as it may seem, I think that protective that protective effect was the strongest in my twenties. That is when I felt the strongest loneliness and desire for a special partner. And I remember lots of time snuggling with Dad on the couch when I felt bad. And I think that was a huge factor in getting me through. Because I was well-loved, I could wait to find someone that would love me well, instead of just searching for anyone that would give me any kind of attention.
2: Hi. I'm Alice. I'm his wife, and I'm the mother of those four kids that he was talking about. And I also was a bit taken aback to be asked to do this workshop because even though our kids turned out amazing, I knew that that was sort of accidental. (laughs) It wasn't because of any great strategy that we had. In fact, the number one thing I'm going to suggest that you do, we didn't do. And I say that as a disclaimer that we are not the perfect parents, and also to give you hope that you don't have to be the perfect parents. And I think that's really important. I run into a lot of young, young parents who are sort of frightened and they, they ask me, you know, what, what was it that made your son walk away so that, so that they can prevent that from happening, right? I know that's what they're thinking. And um, at the end of the day, I just want to say it's up to your kids if they walk with God, or if they choose to pursue sexual purity. Sorry, didn't mean to get emotional, but that always happens to me when I talk about real things. So, <laughs> have to bear with me. Um, and that can be kind of bad news. Like I don't—I the first time I realized that my children really, really had a free will and they could choose what they wanted. I was not happy about it. I'm like, well, I don't want them to be able to choose anything. I want to tell them what's right and wrong. You know, I want them to listen to me. But God apparently has a different opinion, and he decided not to do that. And so I needed to get on board with, with the way he looks at it. Okay, but back to my story. So... Um, I remember talking about this workshop with a couple of our daughters and some of their friends were over and saying, they're like, what are you going to say? And I said, I have absolutely no idea what I'm going to say because I didn't have a strategy and uh, kind of was an accident. What, what would you guys say? Now, these young people had all been raised in Christian homes and they were very recently raised so they could remember and, I, and they all had really good ideas so i got the brilliant idea why don't you guys tell these parents what was helpful and what wasn't helpful and so i gathered a lot of input specifically from 13 young people four of which are our own kids and um most of whom are still single and only four of whom are here today to share with us but i have read all of their responses and talked with them at length and the one thing that they all said, which I think is, which Universal and Adam also mentioned it last night was, talk with your kids. Talk with them starting from a young age and talk with them often. Now I wanna tell you, this is something we did not do because I was uncomfortable talking about sex and sexuality and and yet I'm gonna recommend that you do it. So remember, there's hope even if you don't do everything right. Mm-hmm. Um, one young mom told me, we, had, we told our children before they reached puberty, you know, the talk. We told them about sex and the purpose of it and they were curious and they asked questions. And so it became a subject that was not taboo in our house. Then when our oldest reached puberty, suddenly it's gross to her and she doesn't wanna talk about it. But the good news is, there's already a foundation there. She knows that mom and dad aren't awkward talking about it, and that if I really have a question, I know where to go. Um, they all said to create an atmosphere of, of grace, of non-judgmentalism, of this isn't awkward and it isn't super, super serious because teenagers don't like those conversations. You know, mom and dad are going to get all serious, so I'm not going to talk to them. Mm. (laughs) One, now out of all these people, only two of them said that they had parents that that did this, that they were always comfortable asking questions with and they knew they could go to, and yet all of them said this is what you should do. Um, Those two said that, My mom or my dad would make time for me, like riding in the car or going for walks, and they would just wait for me to bring up an issue. And one said my dad would purposely not even look me in the eyes. I found out later that he did this on purpose so that I wouldn't be embarrassed. And I knew that no question was off limits and that nothing I did would be make me be rejected. Okay, so that's my number one suggestion. And maybe in this workshop, you're not going to get as many suggestions or boundaries or, you know, outlines for what to do as you hoped. Um, There are more resources, like this book, after which this workshop is named Raising Purity. It's very good. I had to read it and ask all questions, because remember, I didn't know what to say. And I'm just gonna tell you a few other things that the young people said before I turn it over to Alexi. They, um, they said, have firm boundaries. If you set a curfew, make your kids keep it, have some internet boundaries, don't preach at them. Don't be too strict. You know, if you make rules, you have to change them as the child gets older. Like Tom mentioned, um, being too strict or too protective can backfire and one young woman told me. I kept all the rules until I was 18 and moved out. And then I decided I had to go find out what all this was about. And I made some really bad choices. So try not to um, take over your children's ability to make decisions. Um, once I give other reasons besides God said This is a bad thing to do. Like scientific reasons. It's a good idea not to sleep around. My daughter one time shared with her brother scientific research about how much happier marriages were where, you know, the the people didn't fool around beforehand or just had one partner. And sometimes your kids don't care what God says. So give them some other reasons. Um... Know your children. Don't be afraid to ask them questions about their friends, about what they're learning about, about, you know, what do you guys talk about when you're hanging out in groups? What are they saying in school? Just make it a topic that is not off limits. Another thing is to encourage mentors. As they get older, sometimes your kids don't wanna talk to mom and dad. It's okay to have other adult influences in their life Encourage that, encourage them to have accountability partners maybe, friends at school. Um, Tom already mentioned the media thing, one thing we did that actually made an impression. Um, Take time for your kids, watch things with them, teach them how to guard their minds. I think that's important. Okay, and then the one thing that I would say I kind of already said, but it's to remember that there's not a perfect way to parent or some hidden secret to find that will guarantee the purity or faithfulness of your children. That's the bad news, you know, we can't control it. But the truth is, it's also the good news. Takes a lot of the pressure off. We can make a difference we can make it easier for them to choose purity we can be a place for them to talk we can be some of your children may have already stumbled you can teach them about the cross the forgiveness and the power of jesus's blood don't act like you know purity is is don't make it an idol It's not the one unforgivable sin, it's not gonna wreck your life forever because Jesus is bigger than that. At the end of the day, who we are, with and in front of our children is way more important than what we do or tell them to do. Jesus has all the wisdom that you need. So pray for them, pray with them, make time for them and teach them what you know. That's really all that we can do. Thanks
3: so i'm alexi and full disclosure i have an almost 16 year old 14 year old an 11 year old and a six year old and so the results are not out yet on my children, okay? Um, I'm doing this because Alice wouldn't do it unless I did it. So I really wanted her to do That's what it. Nick told you. <laughs> um, so I utterly and completely agree and appreciate your advice and your counsel and your encouragement. It's, it is exactly what we need to hear right now. There are a lot of different things that I could say in the moment having teenagers and trying to navigate how to walk with them in Jesus' name. I did not grow up in a Christian family, so I don't have um, a reservoir of experience and a library of boundaries or anything like that to try to figure out how to tell my kids what to do. So in some ways, it's kind of to their benefit because I'm just kind of learning as I go. And I'm just kind of telling them what I'm learning. The advantage to, um, I think, being Nick's wife is that after a while, I just stopped caring what people thought of me.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I
3: get that. <laughs> so, great. Right. I mean, really it's freeing. God expects me to love him and adore him with all my heart. He expects me to surrender daily to the things he's put in front of me. He has called me to steward over our children. He has given me the faculties to do it, and where I'm lacking, he provides. What people say around me about what my kids should be doing or what I should be doing, well, it doesn't count as much anymore. For a while I thought, ooh, you know, they must be onto something because I don't have a reservoir to pull from. I didn't grow up like this. So maybe they kind of know what they're talking about. But I felt like I failed over and over and over. And I felt like I had to like hover and protect, and I couldn't, I couldn't sin in front of them, and I couldn't figure out how to explain to them about sex and, and without blushing or without feeling awkward. And, I don't remember when it clicked exactly. I think it was gradual because as they were growing, the kids that they were with were seeing things and talking about things, and from early on, the, the the words up for you know our private parts, right, penis, vagina. Like frankly, you need to be able to say those words to your children, and you need to be able to say them without giggling or, or <laughs> acting embarrassed or feeling like like oh you know. And it's also important to say those are things that we cover up because they're private. And to have those conversations when they're little ones. You know what I mean? And as soon as you, just like what they said, you've gotta to talk to them. And make it so it's not off limits and it's not weird. And so they come to you and they're like, hey, so I've had a, like weird feelings. You know, Mom, like, down there. Like, what is that all about? Because, in, in other words, like, or something weird is happening, you know, When I wake up in the morning, you know what I mean? Like, there's, <laughs> you're like, oh man, I, okay, this is a thing now, all right. And you feel comfortable talking about it, and, I, and I'm not gonna be like, oh, uh, I don't know what to say, uh, it's off limits to me. No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do my best, and it ain't gonna be pretty, and I'm probably gonna say stuff that is weird and awkward to me, but God has given us our kids, so that we can shepherd their hearts. And so therefore, there is nothing off limits. I want to be the first one to talk to my kids about all the things related to sexual purity. The tricky part is when your kids want to start watching the movies and watching the YouTube and looking on Instagram, and and they're inundated with images. So what do we do? Well, we watch a movie with lots of curse words in it. We listened to a book at, on you know in the car last summer, and it had so many cuss words. I was like looking at Nick. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like there's a lot of f words in this book. And he's like, and he, we had. T- and I'm like looking at him and I'm looking at the kids. and I'm like, this is a thing. Like he's like, Lexi, they're going to hear it if they haven't heard it already. What better opportunity do we have to talk to them about things that are pure and things that aren't pure? than when we're all together as a family. Why are we gonna hide? Why are we gonna let somebody else deal with that and then like clean up the damage later? No, we have to be brave as parents to step into something that is ugly and is broken, and we have to stand with our children so that they know we are on their side and that we love them and that the world is not pretty but Jesus will redeem it and he will redeem all the things that are broken, and he will do it in me and in my kids. And he's doing it today. Do you know what I'm saying? So that's what we do. We don't we don't give them free rein, right? Like we don't say, "Oh, watch whatever you want." But I mean, and you know, I peek over the shoulder when they're on their phone, or if I, you know, or if we sit down to watch something together, we talk about it. It's like, "Hey, so what? What you know? What stood out to you in that?" You know, and at first they were like, oh, I don't know, you know, and so we just say the thing. What do you, and of course we don't watch explicit things with them. That. That's, that's, um, that's inappropriate. That, that's awakening the desire in them before it's time, right? But when I say, wow, the romance, that like the feelings and like the attraction of those two people in that movie, like that was intense. How did it make you feel? asking them questions about what is going on to pull out the things that are in their minds, forcing them. Like this morning Lori said, give it a name. It doesn't have to be sin, but help them express what they're feeling. And in the moment you'll be like, (laughs) <laughs> oh no, it's just gonna be a disaster. God will provide, he will provide. You cry out to him, the Holy Spirit will give you the path that you need to take step by step to come alongside your child and be the first ones to talk to them. Sexual purity. Now it's not just sexual purity, right? Like it's purity of the heart with envy, with desire for things that don't belong to you, coveting idolatry, all of those things are, are contaminating our heart. And it's going to happen to them too. When I tell my kids, boy, it's been a hard week, I've really wrestled with fill-in-the-blank, whatever issue that I've had that has been more, gotten more of my affections than Jesus that week, it helps them see that I'm walking the same walk that I'm asking them to walk. Amen. When I apologize and ask for their forgiveness because I have judged them or I have been too harsh with them, it says, we can talk about this. There is nothing off limits. And, <laughs> and I don't want to close any doors with you. Now, yes, a mentor, someone who can come alongside your kid, so that they can ask them the things that they might feel even still a little uncomfortable talking to you about, or maybe they just want another perspective. Yes, that is so right and good. And it it can be as easy as inviting somebody you think would be great over for dinner, and inviting them into your home, and just bringing community around you. Um, Or it can be somebody that they naturally click with, either way. So I'm still in it, do you know what I mean? I'm still trying to figure it out. But I would rather my kids see me as someone who they could say the things that they need to say and not fear rejection, not fear judgment, and not, not be concerned about how I will treat them tomorrow. I love them no matter what. And affirming them in their process of thinking things through is, it, it is, it is so powerful, it's so strong. Think about how you feel when you read the word and you hear from God and how he loves you and how he affirms you just as you are. How he has made you to be something more than you feel like you can be because he's right there with you to walk with you. And that's pretty awesome. I'm like, yeah, okay, I feel like I can do anything now. I could be like Superwoman. Mm-hmm. But, I, but that, and that is a model that we, that we give for our kids. Um, so I, I don't know, I feel like I could kind of Tell you lots of stories and say lots of things. the, the thing that one of my ch- children t- told me was um, that she just really appreciated. Cause I asked me like, "Sexual purity, Abby? Like, what do you think?" And she's like, "Um, that's weird, Mom." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm like, "Okay, fine." So what, what are we doing right so far? And I told them, like, clearly you guys are still in the mix right now. Like, I'm not, who knows how you'll end up. I mean, I'm praying for you, but who knows? You know, they're like, okay. <laughs> like I said, like, I just say things. And they're like, hmm, okay, Mom. Um, but one thing she said was, it's just just you're open to talking. And you're just there. And you let me talk, and you ask me questions. And you don't judge me and you love me, and you pray for me. That's another thing, too. If you pray for your child, they're gonna see that you value prayer. If you pray for other people while, and they see you, or you talk about how God is answering prayers, they will value prayer. If you value storing up the word in your heart, if you value killing your idols on a daily basis in front of them, if you value and, and chase after your own purity of heart. They're gonna see that and then be like, oh, that's important to mom. God has put you in their lives to be their model. So whatever you do, they're gonna do. That's harsh for, for us but it's, and it's a high calling, but it should push you toward the greater things that God has, has for you as a human being, let alone a woman or a man and a mother and a father He's called us to be deeply, deeply committed and and passionate and driven to hold nothing above him and to let that love and that acceptance through Jesus flow to the people around us, including our kids. So don't hold back. It's gonna be messy and certainly we don't have all the answers. And I think I need to stop talking. So there you go. Okay. <laughs>
1: I'm to I'm to I want going you. to you. scan. I we you. going you. to to Thank are Thank are gonna Thank you. Thank They're going Thank one thing to Thank
5: Where I wanted to be there on Mass, and um, you did it. <laughs> um, but that it would continually be there no matter what was going on. Um, because the thing that it uh, taught me over time is that I really began to know Jesus as a person. And that when I sinned, it hurt him, my friend. And that began to cause me to count the costs before. And that was so valuable in helping. Moments of many moments of temptation. Um, the thing that wasn't mm-hmm. solvable was like their shame told there to talk with them. So all my parents sure had to talk with me, and talk talked about it occasionally. This and that. I still felt shame for when I was experiencing things because just because I wasn't having sex doesn't mean there's other sexual things going on. And I think the assumption that that is the only thing to be focused on was what I got the message. So. Um, I wish I would have been able to then more freely able to talk about, about it
6: and less kind clammed up on the subject and awkward. <laughs>
5: I'm Victoria. Um, I'm going to deviate a
6: little bit from what Tom said and just share a, little, a story because um, it's a little bit longer story. So mine doesn't come from what my, my parents did, but I see this in friends who our parents and I work with youth at um, City Church, and so I hear and just see this being experienced in our youth as well. Um, so when I was, I think, 23, I had this group of friends who came out, three, there's like six of us, three of them came out as being gay. I had a pixie cut at the time, um, and there was just this, like, fear amongst all of my friends and some of my close friends who even encouraged me to get the pixie cut that they feared that I was gay because I was associated with this group and because I had short hair and because I'm an affectionate person um and that did so much damage to me i mean thankfully i had a few years as an adult to um, reflect on who i was and i I didn't know who i fully was but i knew um enough to know like
5: i'm not attracted
6: to women so but but it did beg the question of like what are other people seeing that is causing them to fear something like do they see something that i'm missing about myself like am i blind to something about me that makes me why are so many people putting this expectation on me? Um, and then even just the fear from people, like one my, of my close friends, friends that encouraged me to get the from her mom. mom, the way that she responded to me, like our relationship has never been the same. Um, and it's not something we can just openly talk about. I mean, the first day that I got my picture, when I saw her, it was like this fear of like, oh my gosh, you do. Um, and that fear has, for the last five years, tormented me. Um, and it's gotten way easier, but I still have this, like, reoccurring thought of like, oh my gosh, gonna because I'm an (laughs) affectionate person or whatever it might be so I would highly encourage you don't don't fear um, things that you see in your kids like if they want to cut their hair short like don't fear that it means because they want to be a boy or they um, uh, are going to be gay or um, just those little subtle things about your kids that make them who they are don't don't fear those and don't anticipate them being something something that I can think, can of think of the way that Jesus loves us, how he believes all things and hopes all things. He knows us, and he's not sitting there like, right, oh my gosh, they're going to say, oh no, wait for it, it's coming. It's just crazy. It's
2: like it's like just um, so I'd encourage you not to do that with your kids you know? mm. Amen. Uh, My name is Dominic.
4: Um, I am just going to speak from the perspective of just having struggled through pornographic addiction, through mm-hmm. adolescence, into adulthood, really just dealing with those consequences. So maybe this will be helpful, helpful for, for people who, your children, children are struggling with porn addiction now um, or maybe that might happen in the future. So, um, one thing that somebody who's struggling with shame desperately needs to hear is, are the words, I am not ashamed of you, and they need to hear that. They need to hear that in front of you, like in front of them, with your own words, and they need to believe it. Why? Because, we can read, when, pe- when you are shamed, you are hypersensitive to people being ashamed of you. Yeah. And, and you can read when your parents um, recoil. And what does that say to you? That says, um, I've done, I feel ashamed, my parents are ashamed of me. That very quickly goes to, is God ashamed of me? I am ashamed of myself, I am full of shame. And it's a cycle, it's a horrible cycle. So they need to hear from you. I am not ashamed of you. Um, and uh, a, a litmus test might be: if somebody comes to you and says, "I looked at porn, and i so shame Is your instant reaction, reaction to recoil, or is it to draw near? Mm-hmm. Right. So, so what what what, what, what needs, needs to happen, to happen, happen is I need to draw near. And, and so, if if you if your instant reaction, reaction is to, to recoil, recoil I, I encourage you to examine. Um, mm-hmm what part the sex of sexuality you are ashamed of um, because there might be there the mm-hmm. other side of that um of, of um so, so when, when i say when i say that don't don't be ashamed of your child Amen.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
4: the other side of that is do enter into your child's shame and um the other side of saying i am not ashamed of you that somebody desperately needs to hear is, I'm going to walk through with this, with you, till the very end. Okay. And, and it's going to, said this, but you shouldn't say this, it, but it's going to be
1: okay.
4: <laughs> <laughs> but, but that needs to follow from a true, deep commitment. Why? Because sexual sin and pornographic addiction is a, it, it's a, it's a, it's a bondage of isolation. And so, what you desperately need to hear as an addict is not only that somebody's not ashamed of you, but they are going to walk with you. You're not alone. They're going to walk with you through it to the very end.
2: Thank you.
7: I'm Kaylee, and I'm
4: really just going to share, kind of,
7: put a stamp of approval on things that have already been said. And the first one relates to modeling, Um, and so I can just speak from my own experience. I watched my parents. Um, work at their, their marriage and just you know without it, it wasn't, wasn't like we are trying to show our kids but just it was, it was this natural, natural expression of, of <laughs> we we're really into each other and, and we, we are, are deeply invested, invested in growing and how we um, appropriately, appropriately express our affection in front of our kids and it just, and just kind of rounded out my understanding of sex and of intimacy, intimacy, and of intimacy um, that it wasn't, um, it wasn't it wasn't just. Scary. It, it wasn't, wasn't just um, negative because there, there was kind of this kind dynamic of at the time <laughs> that I was going through. through, through but like, be Sex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so just to get that, that full picture of sex, too, and obviously, like appropriate, right? Um, so that's one piece. And then um, Alexi spoke about community, and um, we need to have community around us like we absolutely need these things coming from our parents but I remember in seventh grade I had a mentor who was um, just a woman in our church who came around me and she was just like you can ask me anything just so you know and she demonstrated again and again um, that nothing was off limits and so I I got that at home from my parents I got that from her Um, before I was about to get married I had women from the church come around me and just Talk to me, whether it was just initiating with offering input or um, asking hard questions, um, couples who would come around. And so, as a parent, not feeling like it has to be me or this will be a failure, but recognizing the value of a community to come around us. And, um, you know, my my parents even freed me to say, Yeah, go spend time with Kendra, go spend time with fill in the blank. Um, And that was such a gift to me because I wanted to hear some of those things from them, but there is always going to be a level of awkwardness, I think, with our parents. Um, And we're just open to receiving even the same message from different voices.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Engage and Equip podcast. If you'd like to find more episodes, you can go online to highpointchurch.org slash podcast. You can also find us online on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, and other apps like that. We hope this episode was helpful to you as you grow in becoming a substantive disciple and a part of the local church. If this episode was helpful to you, rate or review us on Apple Podcasts or otherwise share this episode with a friend. Those are some of the best ways that we have to reach new listeners. So until next time, thanks for listening to this episode of Engage in Equip.